Okay, should we uh, continue on together? Good to see everybody, and happy Mother's Day as well, to add to all that's already been said. Becca, thank you for leading us so well. It was really, really helpful. Thank you. Um, and we're going to move on in a moment together. Um, if you're new here, welcome. My name is Philip. I'm one of the, one of the pastors. Uh, last week, we came to the end of a, a 16-week series. It was actually about 24 weeks, but it was 16 talks spread over uh, about 24 weeks. We came to the end of our sketches series in 1 Samuel. Um, So let me just set your expectations for the next few weeks, because we're not going to get into a series as such for a little while. So it's a bit more kind of, um, yeah, different over the next few weeks. We've got guest speakers from Kingsgate Church, guest speakers from Compassion. More about Compassion in a moment, so hold that thought. We've got first-time preachers, Mike Thorne on Palm Sunday, looking forward to that. We've got Phil Moore, who um, has kind of oversight responsibility for us as a church. He'll be here uh, speaking as well, which is going to be exciting. We'll have John Ford over from Istanbul. If you don't know John and Sophie, they lead a new church in Istanbul. We sent them out five years ago. It's going to be great to hear from John and what's happening over there. So lots happening in these next few Sundays. And then at the end of April, we will um, launch a, a new series. Uh, my own daughter is walking out of my own, my own uh, sermon. It doesn't get any worse than that. She's had enough. Um, so we'll launch a new series at the end of April, which I don't know what it is yet which is quite exciting. We're just going to spend some time kind of literally waiting on God to see what it is that he would say to us from the end of April onwards. And then we will look to launch a vision series in the autumn. So we'll spend the summer just kind of hearing from God a bit more. There'll be a few changes and announcements to come. And then we will launch a vision series, looking at getting some clarity on who we are, where we're going, some direction, which I'm really excited about. And that will be in the autumn. So lots going on. Watch out for news in the next few days and weeks. And this morning is also a little bit different in that I'm going to just preach for, he says, setting his clock, 10 minutes. Here we go. Because we're going to have, it's been a bit different this morning. It's been a bit more of a team effort. I'm going to speak for a bit. Um, Liz Corbett's going to come and speak for a little bit. There'll be a short video. Ehi's going to come and speak for a little bit. And then we will bring it to a conclusion and we'll get back into worship. I love worship this morning. I love worship last week. Wasn't that good? We really were encountering something of God's glory. So keen to get back into worship and see what else God will do with us this morning. So that's the plan for the next few moments. And the point of that kind of team effort is this. My aim is to put before us as a church, as a community, as a family, the opportunity of partnering with an organization called Compassion that many of you will know about. And I want to put the opportunity before you, and I also want to underpin it with some context. The context of what is the Bible teaches, and also the context of where I sense God leading us as we seek to know where we should and how we should engage and love not just our local community, not just our nation, but also our world. So I want to give you some context as to what the Bible says and some context as to where I sense the bigger picture of vision taking us and put before you the opportunity, re-compassion, but more about that in a moment. To do that, to put the context before you, I want to tell you my favorite story probably from the whole of the Old Testament. And actually, it comes from the life of David. So you thought you left behind David after 20 plus weeks, but I'm going to give you one more insight, at least for the moment, into David's life. We finished last week in 2 Samuel 1. We're going to go now into 2 Samuel 9. And if you have your Bibles, you can, you can turn to it. It won't appear on the screen behind me on, on this occasion because I'm going to summarize it to you. And 2 Samuel 9 is my favorite story, I think, in the whole of the um, Old Testament. So much so that last week's tears are almost certainly going to be repeated. But anyway, I'm told it's no bad thing. 
Um, it's a story of this. It's a story of two fathers, one boy, and one life transformed. 2 Samuel 9 is a story of two fathers, one boy, and a life transformed, and I want to tell you about it. So by 2 Samuel 9, David is by now king of the whole of Israel. As we heard last week, if you were here, the previous king Saul and his son Jonathan have died in battle, and just as God had promised many years earlier to David, sure enough, the crown is moved away from Saul and his family, and it's given to David. And a brand new royal line begins, the very royal line, in fact, a thousand years later, from which Jesus Christ will be born as Becca was saying, as a, a child of Mary. And as 2 Samuel 9 begins, David, who's now king of Israel, he's united all the tribes together, he remembers something. He remembers that he made a promise to his great friend Jonathan, who died uh, in battle. He, remember, he made a promise that he would protect all of, or any of Jonathan's descendants. And because of that promise, and because of his desire to fulfill that promise, he is told of Jonathan's son, so Jonathan has died, but he has a son called Mephibosheth, who is alive. And here, here is your story of two fathers, David, who is a father, Jonathan, who is a deceased father, and Mephibosheth, who is the boy in question. So you're about to see two fathers, one boy, and a life transformed. But to see the life transformed, you need to understand what a desperate plight this young man, I'm not sure how old he was, perhaps a teenager or a younger man, not sure, Mephibosheth was. He was in a desperate plight. He was in a desperate plight physically because as a baby, tragically, he'd been dropped and his legs had been so badly damaged that he was unable to walk as a younger man. Physically, furthermore, he was also in danger because he's the grandson of Saul, the former king. And in the ancient world, it was customary, or at least not uncommon, for any descendants of the previous king to be executed in order that the current king would have no threats to his throne. So physically, Mephibosheth is in dire straits. But furthermore, economically, Mephibosheth is in dire straits because as a, um, he, although he has family land, he's not able to access any of it or its produce. So he has nothing to his name, no income. So he's in trouble physically, he's in trouble economically, and perhaps most profoundly of all, he's in dire straits emotionally. If you're scanning through 2 Samuel 9, you'll see that Mephibosheth, when uh, brought before David, refers to himself as a dead dog. And in the culture of that time, that was a phrase used to, to apply enormous contempt, basically. And he's applying it to himself. It's basically a term of self-loathing. As far as he's concerned, he has no worth, no value, no hope, no future, such as the place in which he finds himself. And David does a remarkable thing to fulfill the promise that he made to his uh, old and wonderful friend, Jonathan. He transforms Mephibosheth's life. Two fathers, one boy, a life transformed. He does three things. In verse seven, he makes it clear that physically, Mephibosheth is gonna be safe. He says to him, do not fear. He makes it clear that he'll be safe. No punishment will befall him. He'll be spared. He will not be treated as an enemy of the king. Secondly, in verse 11, he says, or the text says, Mephibosheth ate at the king's, sorry. Secondly, he restores his family lands to him. So firstly, he removes any danger. Secondly, he restores his family lands to him. He says, you will, your family inheritance will now be passed to you. You will be able to receive the income from it. So he kind of protects him physically, protects him economically. But thirdly, 
This is where the real transformation comes. He goes much further than protecting him physically and economically. He actually brings, it's wonderful, he brings Mephibosheth into the palace. Don't just say you're safe and you can have an income. He brings him into the palace. Verse 11 says, Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And we need to just live in the profundity of that moment. He's not just said, you're not going to be executed, you're safe. Fear not. He's not just said, your income is now going to come towards you, you can, you can live. He's bestowed incredible dignity and honor upon Mephibosheth. If you met Mephibosheth in those moments, he might say something to you like, I, I was without a hope and a future, and I now dine with the king. I sit at his royal table every day, and I will do for the end of my days, and I'm treated like a royal son. He would have been amazed, I think. He might say something like, I was effectively an enemy of the king. I had no hope, no future. I've now been pretty much adopted into the king's family and I've been given an inheritance, I've been given dignity, I've been given security, I've been given honor. I sit at the king's table like one of his sons, dining on the best food and the most wonderful wine that Israel has to offer, and I'm guaranteed that place for the end of my days. His life has been utterly transformed. David effectively adopts Mephibosheth into his royal family, and he transforms his life as a result. I love this story. And as with all of the Old Testament, not just David's life, but all of the Old Testament, we're constantly seeing shadows, hints of what is to come, as we've been saying through the Sketches series. We're constantly seeing hints of ultimately what mankind really needs, and we're seeing hints at ultimately what God will do in Jesus Christ. You fast forward a thousand years from the time of David and Mephibosheth, and you come towards Jesus, descended from David, and what David does for one man in Mephibosheth, Jesus Christ does for all men and women who would trust him and believe in him and receive in him. The parallels are wonderful. Let me give you some of them. David, think about it. He, he just sent a message beyond the city walls in order to rescue Mephibosheth. Wow, you might say. Jesus Christ, we're told in the Bible, was taken outside the city walls and killed in order to rescue us. David spared Mephibosheth from the punishment that was arguably due to him. Jesus took the punishment due to us. Mephibosheth was physically disabled and David brought a partial solution to his problem. Apart from God, we are spiritually disabled, spiritually dead, effectively the Bible tells us, and God brings a complete solution and makes us spiritually alive. David gives Mephibosheth an earthly inheritance. Jesus awards a heavenly, eternal inheritance. David made space at his royal table and seated Mephibosheth with him for the rest of his earthly days. If you are in Christ, you are seated with him in royal heavenly places for all of eternity. David, we're told in the text, treated Mephibosheth, quotes, like one of his sons. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you are fully adopted into the family of God. You're not like one of God's sons. You are one of his sons and one of his daughters. In fact, you're a royal heir. David transformed Mephibosheth's earthly destiny. If you are in Christ, your earthly and your eternal destiny has been utterly transformed. You see, the story of David and Mephibosheth, I love it so much because it points us to the greatest story of all. It points us to the gospel. 
Because the gospel tells us so many different things. It's a, such a multifaceted diamond. You look at it from different angles and it, it just speaks so much truth and wonder and gladness and encouragement to us. The gospel tells us that it, our statuses have been irreversibly changed. We, like Mephibosheth, were, were effectively enemies of God because we lived opposite to God. We effectively opposed God by exchanging his glory for other things. That's what we heard last week. And we're, that, that status is transformed to be friends of God. We're forgiven, we're set free, we're brought into the kingdom of God, we're given an eternal inheritance of heavenly riches that will never, ever end. And I think perhaps the pinnacle of all of these multifaceted results of what Jesus has done is that we are adopted as children of God, able by the power of the Holy Spirit to cry out in love and gratitude and confidence, Abba, Father. The gospel is amazing. I heard Terry Virgo, who's known to many of us who was part of this church and uh, founded effectively the movement of which we're part. And I was at a conference recently and he did a, a wonderful job of unpacking in much more depth all of the different angles of the gospel and then said at the end, the pinnacle, the pinnacle of the implications of what Jesus Christ has done is that we're taken home and we're given a seat in God's royal family and told you're a daughter, you're a son forever. Forgiveness is wonderful. But forgiveness is the entry point to step in to the most profound thing of all, to become a child of God forever and ever and ever. And for me, I've sensed for a long time that this gospel of adoption, because it's the pinnacle of what Jesus has done, it should underlie how we engage with the world around us, locally, nationally, internationally. And that's why I want us to begin to talk about compassion and the way in which it links into what I've uh, been talking about. So. Without further ado, I would like to invite Liz to come and share something of her story. If you don't know Liz, Liz and Patrick have been in the church for a number of years. They've led and served in lots of different ways. Uh, Liz is one of my great heroes, I would say, uh, because of the way that she steadfastly and courageously does life. She's also a wonderful mother, so I think it's fitting on Mother's Day that we should, we should hear from her. So, do welcome Liz. Good morning, King's Church. It's quite different standing up this side of the, um, this line here, <laughs> but it's wonderful to see all your faces. Um, I just want to tell you this morning um, about a story of two mothers and a little girl. Um, in the late 1960s, a vulnerable baby was born to a mother who was hurting, mixed up, and governed by selfish human desires that really plague us all. This mother was already a mother of three little girls and divorced. So for nine months, she hid her pregnancy and then disappeared off into a small town in Africa to give birth to a baby girl. She couldn't let anyone know about this baby and didn't have the means as a single mother to bring up a fourth child. So she made arrangements for the child to be adopted. Two weeks later, this baby left the hospital in the arms of another mother who had walked an equally difficult few years. She and her husband had lost one child, had battled to give birth to a little boy, and so were told not to have any more children. But that day, their lives were changed, and they had the, the great joy that um, mothers know of, of having a newborn in their arms. 
as you might have realized, that child was me. <laughs> that little girl was me. The day that I was redeemed and given a chance to live the life God had planned for me. And he knit me together in my mother's womb and he planned everything that was going to be a life of redemption. For as far back as I can remember, my mother and father told me that I was adopted and it made me feel special. It was like from a young age that God had picked me and placed me in a loving, God-fearing home. My parents were very involved in the Presbyterian Church in Zimbabwe and my brother and I were taken to church every Sunday. We were taught to love and fear God. And at the age of eight on a camp, I repented of my sins and asked Jesus to come into my heart. My adoption story would take a lot longer if I went into all the details of it. Um, so I just want to skip a few years. Um, just over two years ago, my adopted mother and I, um, just before she went to be with the Lord, went to the social services in Zimbabwe to sign, for her to sign a form to say that I could um, start the process of finding my birth mother. Um, unfortunately, my mother never got to see the end of that story. After 18 months or so of um, dealing with the uh, inefficiencies of African social services systems, um, my brother in Zimbabwe had been going backwards and forwards trying to find things out for me, trying to get my unabridged birth certificate. And last May, I was sitting in the compassion offices when I got an email from my brother entitled, Are You Ready for This? He'd sent me a copy of my unabridged birth certificate, and on it was the name of my birth mother, but not my birth father. My heart, of course, as you can imagine, uh, just started pounding, and the tears came to my eyes, and I just was um, overwhelmed by seeing this name on the birth certificate of somebody that I didn't really know. Anyway, again, to, to cut a, a long story short, uh, whether you can call it the beauty or the curse of Facebook, I managed to track down my birth mother and I sent her a message. I sent her photographs of when I was a little girl. I sent her some photographs of myself growing up. I sent her my wedding photographs and I sent her photographs of her grandchildren. Ten days later, she replied, bitter and sad. She told me she wanted no contact with me. I was sitting on the train on the way back from London, and of course, as you imagine, I burst into tears. And immediately, I had an attack of, of, the, of Satan and his evil ways, just saying to me, you see, you were never wanted. You're not loved. You were never loved. But almost immediately, I also felt the incredible presence of God and God saying to me, no, you were loved. You were wanted by a couple who couldn't have children and he needed a, ch a child to love. And you are greatly loved now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and since then, I've been so grateful to God for the kind of life that he gave me, the kind of life that he redeemed me from, 
My birth family don't know God. I pray for them often. Um, and my half-sisters had a really hard upbringing. But God, in his mercy, burst into my life, and I want to live every day for him for that. And being in this godly family, um, I met and married a godly man and have three wonderful children who have also grown up to know God. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. It's like I found redemption twice. I only regret on a day like today is that my mother, my adopted mother, wasn't around for me to tell her how much that redemption has meant to me. So as you can imagine from my story, adoption is a big thing on my heart. And if God had ever really showed us, Patrick and I were very open to adopt a child of our own. We've heard from um, Homes for Good before and we've seen the video this morning. And we've heard um, people talk of the wonderful work they're doing. We have couples in this church who have um, felt that adoption is the way they should go. But for many of you, that might be a very overwhelming route to take. So today I want to speak to you about another cause, um, another way that you can redeem a child's life and um, meet the needs of, of poor and vulnerable children in this world. Growing up in Africa, I've seen the needs of the poorest of the poor, and I've wanted to do something about that. Patrick and I try to meet some of the needs in our own poverty-ravaged nation of Zimbabwe in different areas. But a few years ago, I was looking for a charity where I could volunteer, and I found one close to my heart. I started working mornings, a few mornings a week for them. And this charity, as Philip has already talked about, is Compassion. A few of you here already sponsor children through it. Um, and after seeing the amazing work they do and spending the very first morning I was there tearfully opening all the letters that I get to, to see every day, I came straight home and sponsored a child. Uh, and since then, Patrick and I have gone on to sponsor a second child in, in memory of my adopted mother. And I, I, I also write to two more girls. These children have been redeemed. Their lives have been taken from a life of poverty and hopelessness to a life of hope in Jesus Christ. And over the next few weeks, you're going to hear a few more things about compassion and their work. Um, Philip has already asked us to pray as the church considers partnering with compassion to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And I just want to ask if you would consider doing that as well. It's really, really not a, a huge thing. It's just a little bit a month to sacrifice and also to, to have a relationship with these children. Um, we're going to watch a short story about from Compassion um, now, and then he's going to share with us. But please, if there's something that you would like to know a bit more about it, certainly Ehi and I, and I know there are others of us, the Wilsons and that, also um, sponsor through uh, Compassion, please 
come and speak to us. And let's see some more children have that redemption story. Here in Matare, it's a very difficult environment. Matare is just not a nice place to bring up a child. Life is hard and we have to struggle just to survive. We have to pay rent, we have to buy food. Everything requires money and without it you can't live. Life is hard. When my mother was not sick, she was able to do some work to support us. And life was much easier. But right now she's unwell. It's so hard to buy food and it's hard to pay rent. There are a lot of young men around and the things they are doing are not pleasant. Bringing up a child here, especially a girl, is a big risk. Prostitution is a major issue in this valley uh, because people want to place a meal on their tables. So they will come out and tell the children, you can go and work, you can bring something at home. And uh, you find a lot of girls uh, in the valley going into prostitution, even as early as the age of nine. Um, and some uh, really get, uh, get even killed in the process uh, because some are defiled, some are misused, some are molested and uh, uh, everything. For the young men, it's crime. It's an easy way for them to get some meal. And uh, they do it for meal. And they believe that uh, actually nothing can be done to make it better. And so with that kind of a belief, uh, their self-esteem has been affected. Asha's story has been different, and it's because of compassion in the church. And um, 
you find that uh, she's still in school. Uh, she's still in the project. We are actually guiding her and supporting her uh, through compassion, through the church, through the teaching that we do, through the activities that we engage them in. I pray to God for Asha because she is a very clever girl and very understanding. I would love her to finish her studies and go to secondary school. That's my prayer for her. We really raise their self-esteem and they can be able now to actually uh, see a different world inside them. And so we try to bring that that potential through the talents, uh, through um, through a lot of other potential that they have. We believe that Madare youth and children have potential uh, that is needed outside the world. And so we, we, we try to, to, to tell them that. When I grow up, I'd like to be a teacher so I can earn something, so that I can get a better house for my family. I still have hope every day. I know that if I don't have hope and faith, I'll be more sick and won't be able to do anything. So I have a lot of strength in me. That keeps me going, the hope that I have. If I was to talk to potential people that can be able to actually save a life, if they want to change the world, they can begin here. There are people that are vulnerable, there are children that are really in dire need and uh, they really need uh, a little support to tell them it can be done and to help them come out of poverty because lives have been changed, the lives of children are changing, the lives of youth are changing. everyone. Um, so, um, yeah, I just want to share a bit of our compassion journey with you. Um, as a family, we've been sponsoring with compassion for about 13 years. Uh, my first introduction to compassion was while I was at university. Um, then I was going to Kensington Temple and uh, attended a Rebecca St. James, I don't know if anyone has heard of her, Christian singer-songwriter event. Um, and during that, uh, there was a compassion plug, sort of quite similar to this one. And um, yeah, for me, it was just a no-brainer, really. It was an easy way to be able to make a difference to the lives of children. Um, and I was already thinking about what I could do um, yeah, to just have an impact on children's lives. So straight away after the event, I um, went to sign up um, and chose a little girl who had been waiting. I just asked for, I didn't really mind what country she was from. I just said, a little girl who's been waiting the longest on the list. And I straight away managed to sponsor her. Um, so we're currently sponsoring two children. So Evelyn, we've been sponsoring for years. She's currently 18. She's from Bolivia. Um, and we also recently started sponsoring a little boy called Manu. So he's five. He's from Togo. And we chose him particularly because we wanted a little boy who was similar in age to our our two boys and to try and get them also engaged in social action with the aim of you know them starting to write to him and things, so just to build a relationship that way. Um, so besides sponsoring for Compassion, I also recently had the opportunity of volunteering with them, not quite in the same light as Liz, but uh, um, just helping out in some of the events, uh, some of their concerts and things, well, not their concerts, but concerts of other people who partner with them just to help man the stands and things. And 
it was really amazing because I got to meet a compassion graduate that's a child like um, this girl or like Manu or Evelyn who are sponsored who've been through the system and come out the other end. It was just an amazing experience. Just hearing um, this one man, I can't remember his name, but a young man who started off living in slums um, and just, yeah, telling us stories about how the children that he had grown up with, a lot of them had been killed. But because he was on this compassion project, he was effectively rescued, taken through school and came out the other end as a lawyer. Um, another thing that really impacted me about his story was just Talk, him talking about how much the impact, the letters that his um, sponsors had written. He never met his sponsor, but they had communicated through the years, through the letters, and the encouragement that had been given to him through these letters. So that was really important. I mean, bef before that, I would write once in a while, but once I heard that story and realized what a massive impact writing also made, not just given financially, um, yeah, started writing to, to them. Um, let read my notes, make sure I'm not missing anything. Yeah, so that's it really. I'd really like to encourage everyone. It's a really easy way, 25 pounds a month. Um, I also particularly like with Compassion, the way in which they partner with the local churches. So they're not just interested in supporting the children financially, but they also look after the educational needs, as you heard, um, spiritual as well. So through the letters that come through from Evelyn uh, and Manu, we can see the impact that uh, the church, the local church is having on their lives. So I think that's really important. Um, thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you, Ehi, and thank you, Liz. Um, gosh, how do you respond to all of that? Just a kind of practical thing. Um, I want you to know this is not just kind of come out of the blue. So the idea of us partnering with Compassion has been on the agenda for a long time now. So even when, in the days when Simon Virgo was leading the eldership team here, it was a kind of discussion and conversation we were having. So lots of thought has gone into this. Uh, I've done a reasonable amount of reading in terms of the different schools of thought there are with regards to how uh, people engage with poverty internationally and things. So this is not just suddenly popped up because we should. It has been on the agenda uh, and been discussed and, and looked into. So I just want you to know that. Uh, and secondly, I think as much as the invitations coming out now to kind of get stuck in. If you want to, that's great. And chat to um, Ehi and Liz afterwards. I also think I can glimpse Nicole at the back, who actually used to work for Compassion until recently, so she would be a good person to chat to as well. Um, but actually, we've got uh, the the director of Compassion who partners, uh, the church partnership director from Compassion is going to come and speak to us in, on April the 8th. So that's probably more the opportunity, I think, to actually make some decisions. I think now, really, we're just putting something before you, a sense of, a sense of vision, a sense of heart, and a sense of practical opportunities for you to consider, for you to think about, for you to pray into, for you to talk about, for you to discuss and research. And then on the 8th of April, Tim will come from Compassion and he will speak in more depth about what it is they do and what it looks like for a local church to partner with them. Um, Compassion have got an area in mind that they've been praying about for a while, a kind of a size that would probably fit a church of our size. So there's an opportunity there, but I'm not rushing ahead yet. We're putting it before you. And on the 8th of April, Tim will come and speak to us and then we can, we can kind of go from there. I hope that makes sense. But as you can see, that, that heart of adoption, I do feel strongly, is going to underpin much of what we do as a church. And as Liz very helpfully said, to actually adopt or foster, look after children in the community is, is one thing, and it's an enormous thing. But it might not, well, it won't be for everybody. It just isn't for everybody. Um, so we want to create ways in which we can all express something of this profound uh, gospel message of being adopted into the heart of God, giving a, being given a hope and a future. All of us can reflect that in some way, and I think that's what Compassion is going to help us to do. So, let's just take some time to reflect and respond and worship. Jamie, could you come and join us? Um, how should we do this? Well, we're going to 
I think just takes some, some time really to try and hear from God. And as I've just been kind of trying to do that, I just get a sense of a number of things maybe that God's saying. Just first of all, there'll be some of you who it's, it's not about what you might do. It's actually about receiving afresh this morning. I mean, it could be any other day, but Mother's Day, of course, is a day when all kinds of emotions might be, might be running strongly and other things might be happening. And for some of you, it's just about basking afresh in the glory of the gospel, the glory of your adoption. As Liz was helpfully pointing out, if you are in Christ, if you're in the family of God, you're there because he chose you. He made the decision which is so important to hear. And for some of you, it's just that. Worship afresh, bask afresh, ask the person next to you to, to, to pray for you so that you just sit in the wonder of that identity. For others, it might be thinking, what God, what are you calling me to do? How do you want me to express this? Whether you're single, married, male, female, older, younger, how do you want me to express the heart of God? That might be what you might also respond to. And there might be other things as well. But I thought those two things, a personal sense of where am I, in the heart of God, where am I, where's my identity, where's my security, and then secondly, how might I engage, how might I respond, how might I reflect the heart and the image of God to those around me. And let's see what else God says. If you sense God sharing something, come and bring it. It was great to have a song last week, prophetic song, that just spoke so much of God's heart over us. You might have all kinds of things might come through that reflect what God wants to do with us as a family and as a community. So perhaps the third response is to be on the front foot. What's God saying? And you might want to come and, you might want to come and share that. You want to hear from his voice, don't we? Okay, can we stand? Let me pray. And then we'll uh, worship our wonderful God and see what he does in these, in these moments with us. Father, Father, Abba, Father, we, we cry out with the spirit of adoption. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have sealed in every Christian the spirit of adoption that means that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And equally, the invitation is there for anybody who is not yet in the family of God to step in through the gate of forgiveness and come in to the palace to take a seat at the royal table as a son and daughter and royal heir of God. Oh, Father, Abba, Father, help us to bask in the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of our adoption, the wonder of the security, the privilege, the joy the identity that it gives us. Help us to worship you, to worship you as children should, as we, heard, as we saw before, with joy, with freedom, with abandon, with gratitude, with thankfulness. Help us to, 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 to learn from our own children from earlier on this morning and to worship you with freedom and joy. And I pray, God, that you would speak to each one of us and you would draw us into the response that you would have each one of us make this morning. Amen.